Welcome, everybody, to our next Fireside Chat. We're actually starting to launch this as called the Catholic Homeschool Podcast. And really just this is an outgrowth of all our wonderful opportunities to speak with, you know, uh, experienced moms like uh, myself and Maureen and and just all the guests that we have. And we're putting these on YouTube. You'll see that we're going to have them on all the podcast channels. So look forward to that. We will be announcing that. Um, so today I am thrilled to be able to invite Maureen into the conversation. Maureen and I are good buddies from a long time ago. We are also the co-founders of the Catholic Homeschool Community and the conference. And I just want to say save the date. May 19th to the 22nd, yay, is our next big conference. We already have, I already have 40 speakers and my list isn't even wow. finished. Um, wow. We're going to have some of those old time favorites, you know, with Kimberly Hahn, Danielle Bean, Laura Berkwist, Sarah um, Mackenzie, Pam, Bar all of those guys are coming back. And, and then we have some great sponsors and vendors and just so many surprises for you as well. So please save the date, make sure you come. So today happens to be in a beautiful day of the church. It's the solemnity of the Annunciation. And what a great day to get together with you. I was able to, you know, uh, good mass and, and be able to pray for everybody. And I, I'm just so grateful, again, for the beauty of our church, because in this feast day, we are reminded once again of the Blessed Mother's yes. And without that yes, we would not have had the incarnation. We would not have the beginnings of Christmas. So without Christmas, there is an Easter. And, you know, right. we're just so we're on this journey as we go through, constantly reminded. So I thought we'd start, Maureen, by saying a Hail Mary together in Thanksgiving yes. for today. Okay. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Blessed Mother, pray for us, and St. Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Great. Well, today we're going to be talking about homeschooling styles. And um, I just wanted to kind of say that I know when we talk about homeschooling styles, many parents may think, oh, that involves learning styles as well. And it does to a degree. I mean, there's mommy's learning and teaching style. There's children's learning styles. But I think that conversation, we can't get that all done in one hour. <laughs> so what, what Maureen and I thought we'd do is let's talk about educational philosophies, the, the homeschooling styles. We're going to go through that list with you, talk about them, talk about in particular, even just some of the programs that exist. Hopefully, if you have any questions, ask us as we start talking and, and kind of um, unpacking homeschooling styles. And then we will have a conversation. We will schedule Maureen, right? You're going to come back or we'll have oh, some yeah. other speakers come in to talk about learning styles because that's a huge subject and a really important one as this time of year is really the great time of year that everybody starts planning their curriculum. So I'm going to begin with a little bio on Maureen. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Maureen Whitman is a wife, mother of seven and grandmother of four. No, I'm up to seven. No. I, that's what I thought. I was like, this is old. There's more of them. So grandma of seven. They just keep crazy. coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. Great, great. She is an editor and author and co-founder director of Homeschool Connections. Amazing resource. We'll talk about that too. And the Catholic Homeschool Conference community. She is grateful for all the homeschool parents who helped her over all the years and works to give back. And this is one of these opportunities, right, yes. Maureen, to pay it forward. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. So, Maureen, yes. what is a homeschool style? And, like, do I really even need one? And how do I figure out what's best for my family? Um, I was just going to quote that, you know, homeschooling, basically, according to the Coalition of Responsible Home Education, the modern homeschooling movement can trace its roots to John Holt. And I know you've, you know, familiar with John Holt. Maybe yep. you can talk about that. But he began with what was called unschooling in the 70s. Uh, later than the Christian homeschooling movement started really in full force in the 80s, probably when we were starting. We were kind of late 80s, early 90s. Yep. And then by 1993, homeschooling was legal in all 50 states. 
but um, it had its roots primarily with John Holt and then moved through mainly evangelical and Christian groups into then everybody from secular to homeschooling. So yeah, tell us about a little bit about homeschool styles, Maureen. <laughs> Where do I begin? Where do you begin? All right, so let's begin at the different ones because um, there's so many. The easiest right. one to talk about, I think, is school at home. Right. you say? Right. Right. So what and, is and that? for most of us start. So, you know, my experience, you know, I started homeschooling, you know, 25 or more years ago. And um, we didn't talk a lot about styles, but most of us started with that kind of school in a box because we didn't mm-hmm. know, right? Homeschooling wasn't a thing um, or a big thing. <laughs> you know, it wasn't right. mainstream like it is now. And that's how we started. And then we kind of grew out from there, right? I mean, when I first started homeschooling, I met up with some local homeschoolers and I was going to sign up for kind of a school in a box program. And there, and one of the ladies said, look, you're kindergarten. Why do you want to pay all that money? And and she gave me Laura Burquist's book, Designing Your Own Classical Curriculum. And um, she's like, just put together your own thing. And it kind of grew out of there. And, and, and it, you know, it usually takes a while before you find your, your yes. style. It takes a year or two. You really need to find what's comfortable for you as a mom and uh, what's comfortable for your children and the way they learn. Maybe your, your family dynamic, um, you know, if you're into mm-hmm. sports or, you know, different things are going to affect that style. So um, a lot of us do start with that kind of school at home because that's what we know. And, and sometimes it works really well for people and they stick with that for their entire homeschool career. But then some of us kind of go off in other directions and find yeah. out. Now, I know school at home and perhaps really <clears throat> this year in particular is how a lot of yeah. our new families came to homeschooling. And I know we yeah. had Kimberly give this, you know, pandemic schooling's not homeschooling, but there is a legitimate need for people to understand that you know, there are times where we're just, whether it's medical reasons or, you know, for health reasons, you need your child at home. So what you're doing school at home is really following the school's program, methodology, yes. their cadence, their materials, but doing the lessons at home. Perhaps you're having an outside tutor come in. I, I do know in Delaware that they do have a whole division in the school that they will if for whatever medical reasons you need to be home, they will then assign you a Well, that was my first introduction. So when I was 13, so that's a long Mm -hmm. time ago, I'm going to be 60 this year. Uh, But when I was 13, I had back surgery and um, I was out of school for six months and a tutor came to my house every day for, well, that came four days a week Mm -hmm. for two hours. And um, that was really kind of my introduction because when I had to go back to school, I thought, I got all this work done in eight hours in a week. And now they want me to come back for six to eight hours a day. There's got to be something else. But yeah, so that is an option. And with the pandemic, a lot of people, that's what they did because they were thrown into it unexpectedly, just took what they were doing at school and brought that home. Right. So there, there's pluses and minuses. I know maybe we can touch upon a few of those within that. And and really, I guess the downside to, to a school at home is not that flexibility. But okay. the pro side is that you know that if it's a limited time that you need to do this, you can slip your kids back into school, into the program that they were in. I mean, that must right. have happened with you as well, right? When you right. Yeah. Homeschooling wasn't a thing, you know, back in the 70s. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, but... Yeah, not, not really. No, not something we are about to do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Great. Good. Good. So it's um, the next would be kind of virtual um, online public schools or online schooling. Now, you know, we can get into that. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later because I'd love people to know about yeah. online programs and in specifically well, um, and homeschool uh, connections. Signing up, yeah, signing up for an online charter school or an online public school yes. is completely different right. from signing up for an online homeschool program. Right. Right. And my husband yeah. wants so to Yeah, so K-12, I wanna, isn't it K-12 kind of one of those typical? Yeah, so K-12, um, they do take homeschool students, but they also uh, run online charter schools. They do. So we have them here in my state as well. So, yep. So typically with an online public school or an online charter school, it's what we were just talking about before, right? It's kind of school in a box. It's, it's taking um, the class live classroom and putting it into your living room. 
and um, the student responds to the teacher. In some cases, if you're going through the public school, um, that school has a right to come into your home and, and do home visits and things like that too, depending upon where you live. Um, your, this, your student is on the computer quite a bit, um, but the parents' um, part in it is pretty minimal. I mean, right. it's not really much more than if you were sending them away to a classroom. Uh, we're an online homeschool program. The parent is still a homeschooler, and there's much, much less computer time, screen time. So that is one one downside of doing a public uh, online school is there is a lot of screen time. Um, and then you also don't have say if you want to switch up the program or do something different. You don't have a lot of say in that area. Um, so you you're have, not, as the parent, you're not doing the grading. You're not the primary educator. So it's not homeschooling. I think Homeschool Legal Defense Association yes. would not consider that homeschooling. So you would not be eligible to be. Yes. Um, now, some parents, would they do that, Maureen, if let's say, and I mean, I, I do know a family locally who um, had a child who had special needs, and it was mm -hmm. a way for them to get the kind of state funds and state programs yeah. for that particular child. Um, so it was, it, it opened it the door to them. I, I do have one child out of my seven. I homeschooled all seven of my children, but I have one who had uh, some serious special needs who went to um, a charter school part-time. So we okay. homeschooled part-time and he went to, he went to the charter school part-time and, and that when the school was designed for kids like him, um, there okay. were only 10 kids in the classroom. It was project-based. Um, mm -hmm. it, it was just a, one of those situations. So sometimes right. that is an option. Sometimes you have to yes. take advantage of it. Yes. And you're and still I, a homeschooler, I, right? No matter right. where your child is getting, their academics, you're still a homeschooler because they learn their most important lessons from you. You're the one that taught them to walk and talk and love Jesus and their manners. And whether or not they're successful in that site-based right. school or that online charter school or whatever it is, a lot of that's up to you and right. how you support them in the home. So I would say you're a homeschooler no matter where they get those academics. Wow, Maureen, I love that you said that because, I mean, again, one of the things I love to drive home to families is this idea that we are the primary educators of our children, yes. first and foremost, what? In the faith. And that's really, you know, it isn't the academics. I mean, yes, we can do that, but it's first and foremost, the faith. And you're right. When the kids are in school, and whatever the, the situation system, is. Right? Yes. Yes. Yep. That's exactly right. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. So the next one I have on my little list is unit studies. And I know you've done some unit studies yeah. too. So tell us a little bit about what yeah. kind of a I, styles unit studies. I loved unit studies. In fact, I used to write them years ago for, um, oh, was it magazine? It was Catholic owned at the time. Um, homeschooling today. Yes. It's no longer Catholic owned, but <laughs> um, yes. in fact, yeah, they let me go. But when, <laughs> when it went over to new ownership, but I wrote a lot of unit studies for them. And I love that. So unit study is basically um, focusing, focusing on one topic and then building all your lessons around that. So an example of that would be um, a, a program would be RC history. Sonia Roman's yes. program. So right. uh, what you do is with RC history is they focus on different eras of history and then you build all your lessons around that. So let's say you're doing um, ancient history. So your history, of course, is that, but also your literature, your art, you might be doing mosaics, you know, and uh, learning about Roman history, you know, science, you know, you may be reading about, um, Archimedes or something. Yeah, right, right. I, I was thinking, what, what are those great Bethlehem books? So you're reading about <laughs> science during that time. And, you know, when my when I had little, little kids, we did unit studies on dinosaurs, you know, where math was counting dinosaurs and art was drawing dinosaurs and we we're going to the museum. So that's a unit study basically is just taking a topic and building around it. So it could be a historical era. It could be a scientific topic. It could be um, mm -hmm. You know, we did a lot of nature studies in our homeschool. Um, I tended to do a lot of unit studies every time I had a baby, you know, it's so like one year um, when I was, because, you know, when the baby comes. Right. Um, no, that's great. I remember you writing an article. Do, yeah. do Give us that, that example, because it's yeah. a great way to even, I mean, for me, I would do a unit study 
in burnout season, January. You can even yes, do right, a unit study right. just to as a break, but you feel like you're still learning. Yeah. When so we made us- the baby the unit study. They, you know, they measured the baby. They weighed the baby before <laughs> I fed the baby and after I fed the baby and after we changed the diaper. I mean, you know, we did a whole unit study just on the new baby. So those <laughs> so are kind great. of fun to do. And you can, the nice thing about unit studies is you can include kids of all ages, right? So, you know, we always learned history together. Um, we had a little co-op in our living room, just three or four families would come to my house. And, you know, while all the kids are learning ancient history, um, they're learning it at different levels because we had kids from kindergarten to, to senior level. So they're mm-hmm. just reading different levels of books, but we can still have family discussions. We can still have co-op discussions. We can still do projects together and learn as a family, which is what homeschooling is all yeah. about. Naturally. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Multi-age learning. And that is one of those yeah. things that comes into play with homeschooling styles, you know, deciding on the, yeah. the, the, the pros and cons, different styles lend themselves to multi-age learning. Others are a little harder to manage that. So is unit studies something then that a mom has to create or are there um, programs around? There are, there are tons of programs out there. So, you know, I was just crazy and kind of created my own, but there are tons out there. Like I said, RC History is an example. Mm-hmm. Um, Yes, if you want a Catholic one, I know. Yeah, St. Thomas Aquinas Academy. I think they they're built around units. They're about all about you know learning as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, another term for units say is interdisciplinary studies. Yes. So if you impress your teacher friends, yeah, that's the term <laughs> I want to use. Interdisciplinary um, homeschool yeah. connections. We have right. So that's the company I run. Homeschoolconnections.com. Our, our third through sixth grade program is built around. Um, Philip Campbell's story of civilization. And it's, it's taught as a unit study. It's project-based and the whole family learns together. And then what we do for the middle school and high school kids, we offer courses um, that tie into those unit studies. So if you want to include kids K through 12, that is possible. So yeah, there are tons of resources. If you Google unit studies, uh, what's another one, Amanda? Yeah. Ben, bend it. Or something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Something like that. She, mm-hmm, yeah, it's mm-hmm. her, she's not Catholic, but yeah, there are some yes. good resources. Yeah. Out there. there are definitely ones. Exactly. Great. Good. Good. So um, you can address the subjects, you know, separately, you can pull out some of them, but it is just another approach to homeschooling. And I, I do remember in the early days homeschooling that there are a lot of, I think, our Protestant brothers and sisters who actually do have a lot of materials on there. Another yeah. area that, and again, that I tended to use was called lap booking or notebooking. Yes. This tends to also work really well in this kind of unit study. So, for example, as Maureen said, you pick a topic and that too, um, it's a little bit more because you, you're, it's the art of creating mini books and giving the child the ability to ask questions and find the solutions. Yep. But it can be interdisciplinary, like you said, we're going to incorporate literature, history, right. music, art with that one topic. So, And, it, and it's a hands-on thing. So children learn through multi-sensory, um, you know, right. so multi sensory op ways th- through touching and feeling and seeing. So when you're lap booking, they're creating these little mini books, or maybe they're doing dioramas or right. um, things like that. You know, another resource I just thought of, I wrote a book years ago called For the Love of Literature. So if you haven't yes. owned that book, you can get it from the library if you don't want to buy it. It's um, There's a whole section on how to create unit studies, and it right. takes you through step by step. So you don't have to reinvent anything. You don't, yeah. it, it just makes it really, really easy to do. So, you know, list books on this topic, list projects, museums, et cetera. It makes it very simple for you. Right. No, that's a great resource, you know, because again, that was kind of my go-to place for the love of literature. And especially if you're literature based, and maybe that's, that's something we should go to the next one, which would be Charlotte Mason style, which we call that twaddle free and literature rich. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Great segue. So, Talk a little bit about Charlotte Mason and her philosophy and what do we mean by Charlotte Mason education and can we do it as a Catholic? So, yeah. Yeah. So Charlotte Mason um, was a 19th century educator in England mm-hmm. and um, she owned, um, and she ran a number of schools and they were called the um, 
Oh, now it's escaping me the name of her schools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yes. if you, she's a fascinating person. So she, she built her model of education on the trivium, on classical education. So the classical model comes from the church. And we'll talk, I'm sure, more about classical later yeah, and we'll the next steps yeah. of, of learning. But Charlotte Mason um, focused on a number of things within the trivium, such as living literature, reading living real books. So Paula mentioned twaddle. Twaddle would be uh, Barney books, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> where a living book would be maybe a Tommy DePaula book, um, you know, on on the birth of Christ or something. It's it's a it's a story that in, a living literature is a story that engages the reader. Um, a picture book is going to have engaging, beautiful pictures that raise our hearts up, and the and the text is going to also raise up our hearts. And not only learn the subject, but really come to love the subject. So right. um, Charlotte Mason was also all about getting outside, right? Taking education yes. in your backyard, doing nature studies, um, copy work. So copy work would be giving your child a piece of living literature and they copy verbatim what is, what is in the book. And when they're little, that helps train their minds. Our retelling of the story. So that would be... Um, for example, read your child. I would read my children a Bible story each day and they would retell the story and draw a picture of it. And, um, that teaches them, uh, all kinds of things. So reading comprehension for one thing. So, right. you know, those are all little parts of Charlotte Mason. I'm, I'm really simplifying yes. it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Because simple. we could, we could do a whole session just we on could Charlotte do, Mason. We could spend hours yes. talking about Charlotte Mason, yes. but that's kind of yes. the simple breakdown is just recognizing the child as yes. um, made in the image of God and, and, and full of um, desire and really wanting what we really need to do in a Charlotte Mason um, education is create wonder. It's a spark, that sense of wonder, that sense of love of God's creation, and therefore learn. Yeah. So now talk about, are there any Catholic versions or groups that are using that kind of philosophy? And I mean, I know Charlotte Mason wrote like an eight volume thing, and and there are people that have actually digested that and brought it into practical ways of implementing her methodology and her philosophy um, into a daily homeschool. Right. So there, you know, there are a number of books out there, Catholic Charlotte Mason books out there. Elizabeth Foss is one that comes to mind um, rather quickly. Uh, there are a lot of really good, simple, I think simply Charlotte Mason, I think is another book. It's not Catholic, mm-hmm. but it's, um, yeah. it's one that will help you. I'm going to put a link in, the, I'm sorry, I'm grabbing it off the internet as I'm talking yes. um, for Manta Amabilis, yeah, which I mean, is yeah, the Catholic. Catholic Charlotte Mason. Um, yeah, I'll put that link in the um, chat here. Great. So um, what that is, that is a free Charlotte Mason curriculum. So the books are not free. You need to purchase the books. And there are a lot of living books. So yes, you purchase them or go to the library. Um, with the pandemic, that may mean drive up and <laughs> have them bring the books out to you. But uh, I used interlibrary loan a lot in my homeschool. And in mm-hmm. fact, for the love of literature is, is kind of a combination of uh, Charlotte Mason classical and unit studies. So, um, okay. So Victoria is asking when the same, can we share a doc or email? With yes. 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 Be happy we to do that. Absolutely. Yep. yep. We'll do that. Morning. So, um, yep. But so that, I know. that is a really good resource. And then Matter Ampelis also has a, um, a Facebook page that is very active and and supporting parents who are using the program. So there is a there is a board, and mm-hmm. there are, there are very active moderators, a whole team of moderators who are on that page who will help you implement that curriculum into your homeschool, so right. that you can be successful. 
And we also um, have several talks that we had in our June conference, you know, the 2020 June conference on Charlotte Mason methodology, again, in a Catholic environment. But um, we certainly will have people again in this new one and also in the Catholic homeschool community. I did, this is a great little segue, Maureen, that we are forming groups, you know, our first group in there is the unschoolers, but um, that's another way, you know, there's over 3000 of us in that group engaging. And yeah, that's the, the next phase is, is I want to, in this, you know, next week, get launch some of these groups. And that would be great to have somebody over from that group as well. Good, good. Yeah. So I know for myself, like when I, I began homeschooling too, I think with, when I went, I think about Charlotte Mason and all of that, it's, it's this idea that a child is not a, you know, blank page that you fill up, you know, but they have inherent dignity from the minute they're conceived and it's that blossoming and giving them the environment to do that as well. So I think we'll see some blending of some of these different styles. Wouldn't you say that? I I do think so. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I loved about Charlotte Mason too, that I think blends into other styles is Mm -hmm. the training of um, virtues. So each month we would focus on a different virtue. And so, you know, she was actually pretty bookish in that, um, you know, she, I don't want to say regimented, but, you know, training children, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like an unschooling style. It, it was more regimented where, you know, you spend a whole month just focusing on one virtue and training for that virtue. Wow. Yeah. And that was our, one of our talks last week <laughs> with Monica's speech yeah. on virtue. Right. So right. Great. That's right. Yeah. Yep. It's wonderful. So yeah, implementing and hers was again, uh, you know, character and education and again, using the saints and Bible stories as ways. And so again, you can use Charlotte Mason, but we can implement these character virtue programs. And again, and we have such a rich storehouse, even just from Catholic authors, but also from our, the saints in the Bible as well. Um, So another, another great, uh, educator that a lot of people will follow as well is Montessori, Maria Montessori. That's another methodology. Um, how about we talk a little bit about her as well? And, and I should say what I always found was kind of interesting was that Charlotte Mason, I think, was never married and had children. And same thing with Maria Montessori, but they were like phenomenal right. <laughs> observers, <laughs> observers, and they believed in the dignity of the child. Yeah. Well, even um, so, Frances Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton's wife, she ran one of a Charlotte Mason school. Oh, and wow. the Chestertons never had children. But oh, wow, uh, never knew that. No, wow. no, they they struggled with infertility. They desperately wanted children, and they never did. But their home was always filled with children. And Frances uh, Chesterton wrote plays for children, and she ran this school. So that is interesting. It's kind of like the nuns when we were little, who dedicated their lives. To teaching yes. us in the schools, even yes. though they didn't have children of their own. Exactly. So, um, exactly. Yeah. I do think so. And I think both of these women, again, God bless them with this ability to be keen observers and be able to translate that into a methodology of teaching people to value a child and the way that they learn. So uh, Montessori, what about her? And I, and I Well, yeah. one difference. So um, Charlotte Mason was not Catholic. But mm-hmm. Maria Montessori was. She was about Catholic. Um, she wrote that lovely little book about, you know, the mass for children. Um, yes. I'm not as familiar with Montessori. It's not one that I personally use. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did read her book, The Montessori yeah. Method. And and I, I love, you know, again, one of those things there is, people may also be well aware of, there's the atriums and the, the catechesis mm-hmm. of the Good Shepherd. These are programs that start to begin uh, religious education and the religious education potential in children, and especially at the young age, uh, ages. There's also Montessori schools, but there, when we talk about homeschooling and the philosophy, I think it's about trying to implement some of her philosophy in the way you approach um, education. And, and you know, um, my seventh child, I can remember distinctly sitting at the dining room table watching him take a pitcher of water and very carefully pouring it into a cup and then taking that cup and pouring it over. And he would do it over and over and over and over and over again. And it is my Montessori baby. And in many ways, because what he would do is to master anything new, he repeated that 
um, over and over again, or in a way that, and so I could have been like, oh my goodness, stop what you're doing. You're going to spill that all over the table. But having read her book, it gave me the courage to say, let your child sometimes find their style, even very young in how they are making an imprint in terms of learning different concepts. So these were motor skills that he's learning. He's learning, you know, spatial skills of volume and and just even understanding those sensory things. So uh, her book is really fabulous. but, But being Catholic in many ways, she even talks about how do you teach children the value like in, in the numbers zero, you know? And so I remember just very quickly a story about how the children were given the task of everybody had a big bean jar in the middle of the room. Everybody was handed a number and what happens to the child. And the task was go to the bean jar and pick out the number of beans that match the number on your little card. Now, what about the child who got zero? Because human nature, like, well, I don't have anything. And all these other kids are getting three or four or five beans, you know? And she related that to teaching children the virtue of sacrifice and that um, being denial, you're actually being obedient to what is being, you're being called to do. So, so yeah, there's, it's a lot of that that can be so her book, The Montessori Method, I would say is the foundational one and it's free online. You can look through it. It's dated in some ways and being a typical Italian, which I understand she goes into infinite details on what you feed children and some of that. <laughs> you may not. <laughs> so funny. Anyway, so moving on, we have what we call classical. You started talking about classical education. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. Well, so yeah, the dummy 101 version. Um, <laughs> so yes. classical is is really a model of education that's been around since Middle Ages. Um, it, it comes from the Catholic Church. It recognizes how children develop and, and how we have different stages of learning. So the first, there are three stages. You have the trivium. The first stage is um, the grammar stage. So that's where we get the term grammar school. Mm-hmm. And the grammar stage recognizes that little ones um, are really good at memorizing, right? That's how they learn. I mean, that's how they learn their ABCs, right? And they, you sing a song um, and they memorize it. They memorize poetry. They can memorize uh, their Baltimore catechism. They memorize their, uh, their prayers. So the, the grammar stage recognizes that children learn differently in that stage than they do when they're older, you know, the next stage, which would be middle school is the logic stage. And so that's a stage when kids start asking why, 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 <laughs> why? So you start answering that why question, you know? Mm-hmm. So while these children are memorizing their math facts and the grammar stage in that middle school stage, they're starting to be able to learn things like algebra You know, they're starting to be able to ask why and answer that question, why. And then the third stage is high school, which is the eclectic stage. So that's the question when um, you start engaging them and answering those questions. So you start using Socratic method, you know, where you're asking questions and they're answering and they're learning through exploration. Um, I always think of the teenager on the phone, right? They love to express themselves when Mm -hmm. they get to that eclectic stage. Um, Again, using math as an example, um, memorizing math facts, grammar, algebra, pre-algebra, logic. In the eclectic stage, they can start thinking about calculus and pre-calculus, um, which is a completely different level of thinking. So, you know, same thing here. So you can start teaching philosophy. So, you know, you might learn formal logic in middle school, and then high school you can focus on philosophy. So mm-hmm. it's a, just a different way of learning. Um, and then using the Baltimore Catechism as an example. Again, grammar stage, they're memorizing the Q&A, but when they get to that, you know, eclectic stage, they can express why, what do those Q&As mean? What's the meaning behind that? So that's classical in a nutshell. Um, Classical is also recognized or uh, often associated with learning the classics, you know, reading Mm -hmm. uh, the the ancient Greeks and, you know, reading ancient literature, um, even reading the pagans. And, and pulling out of there, doing a lot of philosophy, a lot of logic. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So, you yeah, know, I, classical I like education is, is pretty solid education. It's about that method, you know, the, the bit by bit learning, using their natural stages of development, but um, forming their minds um, in, in that process. And again, you know, you do have variations of what's classical education, too. I mean, I know there's uh, the famous uh, Dorothy L. Sayers, The Lost Tools of Learning, right. where that really maybe brought it back in interest uh, for Vogue, people to yeah. kind of, yeah, into Vogue and just say, oh, you know, pause. And, and, and again, during the conference, you'll be getting to hear people like Laura Berquist, who will be talking about, you know, classical education and the methodology yeah. that's used and, and, and to be able to help you to decide. But um, generally speaking, it is, as Maureen says, right, wouldn't you say very literature rich and very much in the great books. And what do we mean by the great books? Um, we mean, right, uh, that movement of the great books movement, Mortimer Alder, who started that kind of enriching uh, the Western civilization using the great books. And even with that, you're reading some of those at the high school level, wouldn't you say, in a classical education program? Oh, yes, yes. So, yeah, it was interesting. I have a nephew of mine when he was at MSU, and um, he was reading Homer for the first time. But, but my kids were reading it who were in high school, so they were able to have those discussions. Right. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of things that aren't even read these days until – Mm -hmm. college or even not at all anymore. Um, a lot right. of the classics, a lot of Western right. Civ has been scrubbed. Right. But, you know, back in the day when my dad was in, <clears throat> my dad was in, he was in pre-seminary for high school, but I remember him telling me they were reading Homer in the original Greek. Well, right. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> we so, a little different. In his 80s. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we're kind of, so classical education is kind of moving back to that, um, reading those yes. classics and yes, I didn't make my kids read it in the original. No. Greek, but <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But I mean, there is. You know, yeah, some some Catholic, there's tons of Catholic resources out there for classical. Uh, yes. There's uh, Colby Academy. If you want to do a school, um, Colby Academy, Mother of Divine Grace. Um, if you want to do individual courses, Homeschool Connections has a lot of classical. We do a little bit of everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have over 400 courses. So you can do classical with us. Um yeah. What else is there? I mean, there's Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Academy. And then, and then some of the Regina Chaley schools follow the mother of divine grace kind of methodology. Okay. So there's, there are definitely little. And Aquinas learning. Aquinas, and Aquinas learning is kind of like classical conversations, only um, Catholic. So what that yes. means is it's kind of a co-op setting where you meet in real person with other homeschoolers and you meet once or twice a week. And the curriculum's all laid out for you. And then the other three or two or three days, you're at home working on your own. So um, Aquinas yeah. Learning is another resource for classical learning. Yeah. And just, yeah. just sort of as a little side trip here, you know, that is another method is joining co-ops. And co-ops can either be extracurricular or academic. And some of the co-ops follow a particular style of homeschooling as well. But the idea is with these and our cottage schools or now they're forming pod schools. So there's versions where there is families or students gathering together physically or maybe virtually these days, um, doing that once or twice a week and then doing the rest of the work at home. So there's, there's this always coming okay. together to do <clears throat> portions of their school. Exactly. So that's kind of some hybrid methods in there, but right. they do also, you have to look at and always ask what is your educational philosophy and style within those. Right. Right. Good. So now let's get to the, the, we have two others that I really wanted to bring up. And one was of course, unschooling and then the last one is kind of a relaxed eclectic but um yeah and and uh, so let unschooling this is your baby maureen so so yeah unschooling um is probably the greatest misunderstood <laughs> style of homeschooling mm -hmm. it, 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 unschooling is not non-schooling if that makes sense uh, a lot of people hear unschooling they think that means you just let your kids watch tv all day and that's that um unschooling and I, and I imagine, and there are people out there who do that, but that is not true unschooling. Unschooling is, is again, you mentioned John Holt at the very beginning of this. It's child-led education, um, waiting for the child to be ready, having your child be a part of, of the decision process. Um, all of the unschooled children I know turn out to be pretty 
amazing adults. Mm -hmm. So um, what is it exactly? So let me give you an example. So with my children, we did, you know, we do homeschool connections classes, of course, <laughs> but, but that's not all we do that supplements, right. you know? So, you know, if I have, I sit down with my children and we talk about what are their goals? What, what, what do they see in the future? What do they love? What kind of learning do they want to engage in? Um, I have a son who we did science Olympiad. That was his science. He loved it. Um, this son never opened a science textbook, except mm -hmm. as a um, a resource when he did Science Olympia to look up something. Like we never actually used a science program or um, a science textbook. Yet he's got um, a perfect score on his science ACT, and he's a nurse practitioner. So, <laughs> so but that was where he wanted to go. He 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 um, took ownership of his education. And um, we went in the direction that he wanted to go. I didn't, you know, he, he was dyslexic. So we learned really quickly that, you know, he couldn't Latin and French and, you know, languages were difficult for him. Um, and we went in another direction. So basically, in a nutshell, again, the dumbed down mm -hmm. version of unschooling is child-led education, bringing that child into the conversation and, and, and making them responsible. So it's not letting them just do whatever. They still need to be responsible for those goals. Um, you know, I, I have an article in my head that I just need to write one of these days called The Organized Unschooler. And <laughs> Great title. <laughs> you know, because I still had to teach my kids how to use a planner so that they Correct. could um, succeed in those goals that they set for themselves. You know, and then there are little tricks that unschoolers do, like strewing. That's a common term among uh, unschoolers, where I would leave interesting things around the house for them to pick up and, and kind of spark an interest, you know. Or if they saw me reading a particular book uh, and they want to know what that book was. So there are little tricks <laughs> that, we, mm -hmm. that unschoolers will do to, to bring those children in and, and help um, light that fire. And so... Um, someone once said to me, so, you know, is unschooling for the lazy parent? I think unschooling is harder because you always want to have that atmosphere of joy and of learning and that sense, creating that sense of wonder. So it means getting up off your tushy and going <laughs> for a walk in the woods and asking them to see the trees and, and maybe, um, you know, to make observations. How is, how, are, how is this trail different from when we did it last season? or when we did it in the morning versus evening. So you're always having to think like an educator, you know, think about how to engage those children. So they are learning and they do take control of their education. So would you say um, it's, um, so where do the thoughts come from in terms of um, when you say child-led learning, is it just gonna encompass all their you know, all their uh, subjects as well? Is this something right. that they are involved in the planning as well? And then the second part is, what does it take for a mom to have the confidence to kind of let go of that grading and the world's way of right. saying, well, you know, what grade are you in and what subject are you doing? <laughs> right. That, that is the hard part. And I think you do. Um, yeah. So right, repeat the first part of the question. So the first part was when you say child-led, does it, it incorporate all subjects? Incorporate everything. So yeah. So most people are not full-blown unschoolers. I mean, there are full-blown unschoolers out there, but um, I would say most people are not comfortable with that, which is kind of the second part of the question is, you know, we're not, it takes a lot of confidence, a lot of self-confidence, yeah. and you have to let go of a lot of worry. Um, so, for example, with reading, you know, most of us want our children to be reading by a certain time. Um, my one child, the one who I talked about earlier, who who we put in the charter school part time in high school, he took off reading very late. Uh, in fact, he learned with his sister who was two years behind him. Mm -hmm. And um, having dealt with a dyslexic child, I knew that he didn't have a learning disability. It was just a matter of readiness. Mm -hmm. um, so it does take some self-confidence. Um, and, and if a child isn't learning, let's say they want to learn to read and they're not able to, then you need to say, okay, I need to get help. I mm -hmm. need to see if they have a learning disability, which is what happened with my oldest son. With this child, I knew it was just a matter of readiness. He wasn't ready to learn. 
Yeah. And your older one gave you that experience. His issues, he was medical issues he had. So yeah, it, it takes a lot of confidence. I remember my mother-in-law asking me every time I'd see her, you know, how do you grade them? And, you know, right. I don't issue grades. We, we, we homeschool for mastery. And so I guess they all get A's because we don't move on until they master it. Now, once we got to high school, I do issue grades because I had mm-hmm. college bound kids and they have to have a transcript. And I know some unschoolers that don't even do that. They, instead they will submit uh, samples of work or other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not that confident and I'm not a full-blown <laughs> unschooler. I'm more eclectic, relaxed. <laughs> yes. Yes. But, yeah. so that, which is the yeah. next category, but, was, but I, I do want to unschooling. And I do want to encourage people. There is a really great little active group there in the community on unschoolers are yeah. lady T- Tina Rodriguez who is in the Philippines and and she's going to talk about it at the conference as well, but how she came to homeschooling and I, and she told me her story. Can't wait for her to share it with, you know, all these families, because there is a lot of that letting go of the guilt of saying, you know, the mom knowing this is what I need to do. This is kind of really what works for my kids and my family and to let it go and not feel guilty that it's right. like, well, I'm not doing enough and we're not gauging things in the way that the world views success. Well, and no one knows your child better than you. <clears throat> and we can't compare them to the world. So going back to classical education, um, when you do standardized testing, mm-hmm. children who use classical model don't score as well as other children in the grammar stage. But when they get to the eclectic stage, they're light years beyond everyone else. Right. So if I'm focused on what's everyone else doing, how does my child compare the kids in public school? I'll never get to that eclectic stage where they're light years beyond everyone else because I'm worried that they're not caught up in grade school, if that makes sense. Yes. Because it it does, they don't do standard, they don't do standardized testing well at that stage. They haven't been taught to the test, so they don't do as well, but they will later. So you just have to have the confidence that my child will learn. I'm their mother. I'm with them every day. I'm not going to let them fail. No one loves my child except for Jesus himself more right. than me. Well, when you, you say know? failure, and it's interesting because, uh, again, that's one of the topics uh, that I know that Kimberly Hahn is going to be talking about, too, is we do, in a way, you know, uh, tongue-in-cheek kind of thing of, you know, how to fail at homeschooling, but it's really more the idea that of letting our children make mistakes and sitting right. on our hands and saying, let them discover. Just like I said with my son with the Montessori thing. It is about sometimes sitting back and giving yourself permission to say, I don't know it all, but God has imbued this grace in me to with these, these children are on loan. They're precious gifts. I only have them for a little bit of time. How about I just sit back and observe them for a while? And yes, it does mean sometimes you need to pick up some books and read up on the different methodology because it might help you to be more insightful in in terms of saying, wow, this kid is really amazing. They tend to be more of a sensory learner. So yeah, yeah. Well, and sometimes just getting out of your house and especially with the pandemic starting to go away, we need to get out of our homes and be connecting with community. So an example is I have this child, he's kind of like the dumb ox. He's like St. Thomas Aquinas, right? I found out later when he was much older that he has a near genius IQ. He's brilliant. But as a child, he's, he, he still is. He's very introverted. And I was worried that, you know, he wasn't that smart. <laughs> you know, uh, you know and, and, and how could I have a child who wasn't that smart? And <laughs> but, you know, we're out in the community and we're, we're doing different things and we're doing um, Science Olympiad and things like that. And one of the coaches came to me and said, oh, my gosh. This child is brilliant. He's one of the smartest kids I've ever met. And it really woke me up, you know, it's because he's just quiet and introverted. And, you know, it yes. wasn't that he wasn't smart. He's just, it's like St. Thomas Aquinas, right? When he was in school, right? They thought they called him the dumb ox, right? He's one of the most brilliant thinkers in all of human history. Right. And so it so, is. Yeah. Get out in your community too. And, and, and you might see that child light up. Great and show, tip. You might find those gifts. 
Yeah, sometimes parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles help you to see the things that sometimes, you know, you're kind of in the thick of it and you can't see some of that behavior of your children. And especially because you yourself, and maybe we will talk about that because that kind of segues into learning styles. And that's that's a whole different topic in terms as well, too. How do we match our children's learning styles to yeah. these different homeschooling, you know, uh, styles and philosophies? So, Maureen, we have just a few questions. We're, we're okay. getting closer to the top of the hour, and I want to make sure I get a few of these questions. So, um, yeah. if you don't mind, let's take a break here. Yeah. Victoria asked the question, and this one says she's new to homeschooling, former classroom teacher, which I always think is harder to do. (laughs) She has seven kids, 15 to nine months. Frequent problem she runs into is that the resources of some of these styles, um, when we talk about some of them, they're not nearly as visually engaging as our Protestant brothers and sisters. They're, you know, for example, she quotes the good and beautiful. Uh, Additionally, many Orthodox sources Use materials that look like they're 50 years old, they're out of date, uh, they're not ethically diverse. Can you share Catholic resources um, in these styles that are representative and visually engaging? Right. Yeah. Yeah, When we first started homeschooling back in the day, I mean, most homeschooling products were stapled down the middle and homemade and, <laughs> and, and that's what we wanted. We didn't want the, the flashy stuff. And now we're to the point where we, okay, we want things that are visually engaging. We need that. And, and I think we're starting to move towards that. Again, Catholics are late to the game. There are, are not as many Catholics who homeschool as Protestants. Um, people need to be able to make a living and, and feed their families. And so if we're not buying those products, they're not going to be created. So, um, but there is light, at the end of the tunnel. Yes, I mean, for example, you mentioned the good and the beautiful, that is a Mormon program, but right. it is vi- visually engaging. But there's a new program coming out called Salt and Light, Salt and Light, I believe. Yep. So I have not seen it yet myself, but apparently it is a Catholic version of the good and the beautiful. I would love to see that. Um, yes, yes. You, you I, have yeah. uh, the Catholic textbook project, which, um, you know, if, if, that which is coming out with um, Catholic textbooks for history that are, are visually engaging. They're beautiful books. They are expensive. You may want to look for them used. Yeah, but you <laughs> mentioned um, Philip Campbell's books, but, you know, yep. there are, and she's right. I would have to say that, the, that, that a lot of material, you know, and again, this also brings into play the thing is that homeschooling is not school, you yep. know, and much of the material out there is really written for it's like school and kind of tweaked for homeschooling or they've used. And and I would say originally it was a reaction more than anything to the worldly things that were going on. So people had this knee jerk reaction and they're going to use, you know, quote, pre-Vatican materials because, you know, or they knew things were solid. I mean, and again, when we talk about the, the Voldemort catechism, it is so sound and foundational, but yeah, the pictures could be, Elevated They're antiquated. To, yeah, they are. And you they have are. like the Didache, which is you know from the oh gosh, theological. It's a high school uh, literature or high school theology program. Yeah, very engaging visually. Um, so there are things coming out. Sophia Institute Press is doing some exciting things. Yeah, their Spirit of Truth look is at beautiful Sophia too. Institute they have Press. a whole art program. Yeah. And then online, for example, Homeschool Connections and other Catholic companies are bringing. Um, are creating things that are online. So they're not books, but um, it is a very visually engaging um, medium. So that's out there. So there are some exciting things. If I ever win the lotto, (laughs) I am. But I do think, I do think that that there is definitely that need, but we're seeing some new companies coming in and, and yeah. And and we're going to spread that word to these companies. And we have our Catholic homeschool directory, which is also part of the Catholic homeschool conference here and support those vendors. And these are the people that are out there trying to do, you know, and bring Good materials yeah, to take you. a look at what Catholic Heritage Curricula is doing. Um, again, um, yeah, I know that Sonia over at um, RC, RC History. History is planning some brand new things along the lines of the good and the beautiful. So, right. take a look at what she's doing. Uh, RC History, Catholic yeah. Heritage Curricula, Salt right. and Light. What else have we mentioned? I mean, yeah, um, Catholic Textbook Project for History, the Didache mm-hmm. from Midwest Theological, right. yeah. So, yeah, just keep praying for it. I mean, one thing I would love is a good, <laughs> yes. solid um, science. 
books. Those are hard to come by. Most of us um, yes. in the business use secular books and then Catholicize them right. for science. So yeah, right. just really pray for that. Um, the resources needed to create these beautiful, engaging materials for Catholics comes about. Yep. Yes. And then again, you also mentioned uh, Philip Campbell's story of civilization. Right. And I think that the very good, right now, very engaging. The digital world is making that possible for people to launch these new products. So, yes. So good, good supportive. The other one she, um, Victoria, also asks, um, can you speak of these styles for large families? How do you manage, you know, if you have all these different... And that is sort of getting into the the question of learning styles because yeah so so if I decide I want classical education or like you to you know you have different learning styles how do we manage homeschool styles with learning styles yeah right well one thing to remember is homeschooling does take less time than mm-hmm. the site based school um, because we're not changing classrooms we don't have well, I say we don't have discipline issues, but <laughs> sometimes we have yeah. those. Sibling <laughs> fights. That happens in my family. Yeah, you have to stop a lesson because Billy bit Joey, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it can't be done. So one way we did that, we did that in my homeschool was, again, unit studies, learning as a family. We always learned um, the same era together. So as I said before, so we're uh, we had little co-ops in our house. I, I didn't, I never signed up. Well, I signed up with the school for one semester and I just, I changed everything. So it was a great program, but right. I just was always changing to fit my family. So speaking as someone from that background, um, it can be done. But the way I did it was we were all learning very similar things yeah. at the same time. I mean, other things you can do is engage. If you have a large family, engage those older children, have right. those older children tutor the younger children have the older children read aloud to the littles. Um, that is beneficial in so many ways. Those older children are relearning their lessons. Mm-hmm. And, and the little ones just love being read to or taught by their older siblings. Right. And it creates a beautiful bond. I mean, uh, I have a daughter who, for example, I always tell this story, but she tutored my youngest son in math. And um, they have a very special relationship today. They're, they're very, very close. Right. But this daughter also went on to major and has a degree in mathematics. Um, I don't know if that would have happened if she wasn't my little math tutor, um, you yeah. know? Yeah. So lots of really good things come out of that. Um, again, one thing that helped us was getting out of the house. We did activities together. So for example, um, we did gymnastics, <clears throat> a homeschool style, you know, local gymnastics um, gym. We went there and said, look, your gym is empty during the day. Open it up for homeschoolers. And so we did that all as a family. We did shooting sports because we could do that as a family. Right. Uh, if we did soccer or anything else, we're at six different soccer fields. Um, we did backyard hockey. We always had a hockey rink in our backyard and all the homeschoolers, especially those unschoolers <laughs> we're yes. at our house every day during winter uh, ice skating. So for large families, you can use really any of these styles with a large family, but you need to make some adjustments. So find activities that you can do together as a family. Yeah. What can you and we did have, we did have a talk, which I, I did put on our YouTube channel, which is Jen McIntosh talking about morning time or morning mm-hmm. baskets. Um, that is a great vehicle, which again, what you put in your morning basket can be related to the learning, to the homeschool style you're using. So for example, if you're going to be using, you know, more of, uh, let's say a classical yeah. reading, that's going to be the book that you're reading aloud to everybody. And you can take, divide up people, as you say, in different sections. I know I have seven children and I, we always had the big kids and the little kids, you know, some floated between the middle guys floated between being a big kid and a little kid, but it just naturally divided the two groups up. And, and as you said, Maureen, just sometimes picking a historical time period or a science subject just helps the, the, the dynamics of the family still all being, right. you know, we're all doing American history this year, even though we're doing this kind of homeschool style. And you're doing this, you know, one child has to do a science experiment. You do that as a family. I mean, we did so many kitchen table yeah. experiments. Right. You know? So I have one more question, Maureen, before we yeah. wrap things up. And this one is uh, um, um, came through email. She said, my son was six 
on January 30th. The negative attitude he displays when I ask him to do any reading or writing is so challenging. He is a competitive, very competitive boy. He's been in nursery school since system since he was six months old. She took him out of school just a year ago, has a brother who's 18 months younger. And we have a few families we see three times a week. How would you approach a disagreeable child to complete some project work? I've recently ditched our formal curriculum books, and I have even engaged lap books, something we talked about today, right? Yeah. There have been a small improvement in attitude, but it still seems like a battle's going on, and I've recently just taken a back step and letting him play. Any advice? What are your thoughts <laughs> on that one? You know what? Play is a good thing. Play is learning. Yay. Play is learning. And and so I'm a radical here. I didn't, we really did almost no formal learning until my kids were second grade. We did, you know, I had like a little math work. They love to do workbooks. I don't know what it was with my kids. We had a little homeschool store locally and they would want to buy all the book workbooks. You know, my, my youngest son, he completed that kindergarten math workbook in like three weeks. So, you know, we did some little math workbooks and we did reading instruction. But other than that, we played, we got outside, we observed, we, I read aloud, they retold the story, um, went on nature walks, did some nature right. journaling, uh, did some copy work. So just kept it very fun. Um, at six years old, you don't want to be burnt out at six years old. And if he's been in, in you know, in daycare this long and, and I, and I was there too. I just want you to know, I worked full time with my first two children and, and, you know, pulled them out of daycare so mm-hmm. that he may just need some detox time and yeah. play. And it's I think it's really, really good. Yeah. it's really good. Right. She's connecting with other families. That's such a good thing. And then start looking for what he's interested in. Maybe tell him, look, we need to learn, you know, we need what, what, what does school look like for you? Fine. Fine. You know, again, if he's super interested in dinosaurs, then you do a dinosaur unit study. Correct. You know, he loves to go to the museum, go to the museum. Um, he likes spending time with grandpa, have grandpa take him fishing or have grandpa teach him a lesson. My daughter-in-law, her mother comes um, once a week and does reading lessons with the kids and the kids yeah. love it. Grandma's come in. She's going to do a lesson with us. So you just need to, you know, do some kitchen table experiments. If he likes things to explode, you know, well, I hear this candy. question a lot, Maureen, because, yeah. it, and usually it happens with, you know, in terms of kindergarten and readiness. And, and that is a big yeah, it may not issue. Be ready. They, yes. Yeah. And when we're talking six years old, three months can make a difference. It actually, yes. it really, really can. So sometimes we find when you're getting resistance, and, and this was some good advice I got way in the beginning too. Sometimes it may point to a particular learning disability as well, too. So I know, for example, I had a daughter who was giving me resistance with reading, and it's because she literally did have a visual. It was laborious for her. It was a struggle for her. Um, She also needed to hold something sensory, very big sensory, kinesthetic learner. And, and I had to learn that she needed to touch things in order to make things concrete. So yep. it is, again, getting back to that observing, trying, testing, and sometimes putting the books down. And you did great, Mommy. You did so great in this one where you just, you know what, just play. Play for a while. And then you can pick up the books in three months, and he may be a totally different kid. Um, the yep. other thing I would recommend is Andrew Pudwa does a talk called um, something about children who want to build forts all day, you know, because again, this is a common thing, very typical with um, boys. Um, somebody I heartily recommend yep. reading is Leonard Sachs, his books on, you know, on gender differences. There are differences in how oh, children yeah. learn. And very often the boys need to do things physically. They need to get the physical activity out. They're not ready to sit down for book learning, even at I always thought they should call ADD BOY. Yes. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Oh, my boys. You know, I had one son who I would try and make him focus on me as I was reading. And then I'd have him retell the story and he couldn't retell me. But to me, but he could, if I let him play with Legos... Right. And it looks like he's not paying attention. He's not looking at me. His hands are moving. He's playing with Legos. He could retell the story. Right. You know, right. and if I, we had lessons more than 15 minutes, I would lose them. So I'd set the timer, 15 minute lesson, go outside and play for 15 minutes, swing on the swing yes. or go eat an apple. And you just got to make sure you set that timer. So you remember, oh, I have a son. <laughs> <Ready for yourself. laughs> he's outside and playing. He come Bring back him in, in and work. 
Yeah. You know, he's an adult man now and, um, you know, runs yep. an IT department and he can, he can think for more than 20 minutes at a time. You just, we had to and that's that. the other thing, things, you know, when it's hard, again, when you're in the thick of it, we have the luxury of hindsight, you know, and to say, gosh, relax a little bit more. They will, they will, they, they won't go to college with mommy. You know what I mean? This will happen. <laughs> Yeah. And we've been there, right? I mean, there've been times, you know, I had a son who wasn't learning how to write and I thought he's never going to learn how to write. He's never going to be able to go to college. You know, he's smart as heck, but he can't communicate what he's learned. And then all of a sudden one day, um, instead of asking to write a book report, I asked him to write a book, to write a piece of historical fiction. And I gave him the outline of what to do. And he took off from there. He just, it was a project he loved. And he sat down at the computer and we couldn't get him off that darn computer, you know, <laughs> so great just, just wanted to help him do the dishes and he's too busy writing. Right. You know, <laughs> it, it was wonderful. So sometimes, yeah. And, and so we know, I, you and I both know, right. That pain of, am I a failure? They're never going to learn, but they do have faith in yourself. Just keep praying, take it to the Holy spirit, yes. ask yes. God's guidance, take it to the blessed sacrament. Yes. And today on the Feast of Annunciation, again, reminder of Mary's yes. You say yes to marriage. God's granted you graces. You've said yes to your children. Trust in that grace. And so, Maureen, this has been a joy. It is always such a, I mean, I learn new stuff and and you're just a wealth of knowledge. And thank you for sharing so much about your own personal travels, but the wealth of knowledge you've had from all these years. Um, I would encourage people to go to Homeschool Connections. Do look at the programs they have. I think right now you're running um, summer courses and you're going to have an open house next week, aren't you? So we do. Um, I'm not sure at the time uh, Walter's handling that, but yeah, the summer yes, courses. Yes. So again, a lot of what we do comes from my background. I like doing fun out of the box things. So we've got coding with Minecraft and uh, uh, learn how to play chess, learn how art, do art. So a lot of the pan, we have a course on the pandemic. <laughs> Lots of just exactly. really interesting things. They start in May. So if you're finishing up homeschooling now and you need a little something. Yeah, yeah so. they're shorter courses and this and that. So do visit homeschoolconnections.com. It's homeschoolconnections.com. Homeschoolconnections.com. Okay, beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you, Maureen. And do visit the Catholic Homeschool Community. Uh, Again, we have our unschoolers group. We're going to launch some of the other groups, but there's some many beautiful mothers there that are all different stages. Do ask these kind of questions. And Maureen, you'll join me again when we talk about learning styles that's something we should tackle. i'll be here whenever you want me okay great thanks (laughs) and do join us for our conference may 19th to the 22nd we hope to see you there spread the word god bless take care everyone thank you everybody god bless